Well, we are halfway through today's sessions and really looking forward to what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Most of what we're going to be looking at this afternoon comes from my Spirit of the Antichrist uh, books, and we're basically going to be uh, looking at some manifestations in our world today that indicate we could be getting closer and closer uh, to the return of Christ. So I'm calling this next section, The Great Last Day's Deception, Lies You Didn't Know You Believe. Now, I wish I had time to deal with a ton of these because there are many, but uh, hopefully if you're able to get the books, um, you can kind of walk through several of the chapters there. My book by this same title, which came out back in 2012, was sort of my first uh, effort at exposing some of the the lies about uh, you know the way the world really works that I woke up to back in uh, 20 or 2007. Uh, so the Great Last Days Deception is kind of a primer, as it were, on uh, what became the two volume set 15 years later. And so uh, if you can only get one, I would get uh, either volume one or volume two of, of the Spirit of the Antichrist. But uh, if, uh, if you'd like to kind of see where we've been over the last 15 years, you can get Great Last Days Deception as well. And so as I begin this session, I want to take us back 2,000 years in our mind's eye to what was the darkest hour in human history. The cosmic struggle between good and evil hung in the balance. For more than 4,000 years, the enemy of all that is good and fair and holy had just sought to overcome the eternal creator of the universe for 4,000 years. For 4,000 years, he had worked his deceptive magic and blinded the hearts of mankind and wreaked havoc on the entire world. But now, in this one dark hour, his time had come to defeat God once and for all, or so he thought. Well, not wanting to leave anything to chance, he chose to indwell a certain man who would assist him in his climactic plan. I'm talking, of course, about Satan and Judas. Luke 22.3 tells us Satan indwelt Judas. Judas Iscariot would prove to be instrumental in handing Jesus, God himself in the flesh, over to be crucified. And when the Son of God breathed his last, darkness came over the earth like never before. And it was the darkest hour in human history. But of course, we all know the rest of the story. Three days later, Jesus defeated Satan when he overcame death, hell, and the grave, and how Satan must have shrieked in horror. However, like a dog with a bone, Satan would not give up. The white flag of surrender is never waved by those who are truly evil. They must be defeated. And even though Satan was defeated in that moment, God in his sovereignty for reasons that uh, he's not obligated to tell us is allowing Satan to still have a measure of freedom which he has had now for the last 2,000 years. Satan, the prince of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness, the father of lies, the god of this age, the, you know, the, the, the one who is seeking in every way that he can to overcome good with evil, will stop at nothing short of total world domination. And if you believe the Bible, as I do, you know that in the end times there is going to be a period for seven years when Satan once again indwells another man, this time the Antichrist, who will oversee a total world domination and global tyranny, a new world order, as they have been calling it for many, many millennia. 
And he will use his minions, both his earthly accomplices and co-conspirators, as well as his fallen angels, uh, to accomplish his plan. And here we are 2,000 years later, and that quest is well underway. And it's not been without horrific battles won along the way. There have been times when Satan, who does not have the mind of God, has come ever so close to ushering in total world domination, but God is the ultimate arbiter of the timetable, and it hasn't been time uh, just yet. I find it interesting that twice in human history, according to the biblical record anyway, Satan himself, the prince of demons, indwells another human being. Remember, he's a demon. He's a fallen angel, if you will. And so he, like all demons, can indwell uh, unbelievers. And it seems interesting to me that Twice in human history, Satan, rather than delegating to his legion of demons part of his plan, he says, no, no, this is too important. I'm going to take this one myself. And both of those are in connection with Christ's advents. At his first advent, as we just said, he indwelt Judas, leaving nothing to chance. And I believe in connection with Christ's second advent, he's going to indwell a man, once again, the Antichrist. In other words, when God makes himself vulnerable, puts on human flesh, and comes to Satan's backyard, this realm where the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, the Bible tells us in 1 John 5, 19. Satan says, oh, now I've got him. He's on my turf, right? And so uh, he's going to indwell this man that the Bible calls the Antichrist. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 18, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist, capital A, is coming. Even now many Antichrists have already come, and that's how we know it's the last hour. We know that from 2 Thess 2, Satan, the, the, working, the power of the Antichrist is going to be according to the working of Satan. And amazingly, he will convince billions of people throughout the world to submit to and worship him. As we've already talked about this morning, we won't be here at that time. We will have been rescued before the great day of the Lord's wrath. But nevertheless, it's, there will be many people left behind, many of whom will get saved when the 144,000 Jewish witnesses go throughout the world preaching the gospel. And at the end of the seven years, an angel actually continues to preach the gospel. But many will not be saved. Many will not believe the gospel. They will reject the gospel. And uh, they will fall prey to Satan's deceptive scheme. And deception, of course, is going to reach unprecedented heights during this final uh, seven-year period. So the present age is I call the great last days of deception. And that's because deception is, in fact, getting worse and worse and worse. As I mentioned in the first hour, the last days is something the Bible refers to as the, uh, you know, the present age. It's called the last days. Here's Hebrews 1. God, who in various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. Uh, so Christ's coming instigated really the last days. Peter says that in the last days, scoffers will come, working according to their own lust and, and mocking those who teach Bible prophecy. So if we were to go back to my chart, the last days is the present church age. The end times begins with the rapture and covers everything that follows it. So we're talking here about the last days. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, perilous times will come. Um, things will get worse and worse and worse, evil men and impostors. And notice, deceiving and being deceived. In other words, those that are evil, Satan's earthly accomplices, are more deceived than ever before, but they're also 
capable of deceiving others more powerfully than ever before. And that's a deadly combination. So again, if we think about our panoramic view here of human history, um, we, we think of being in the last days, and ever since sin entered the world here in the garden, things have gotten worse and worse and worse and worse, and they will reach an unprecedented level of deception during that final uh, seven-year period. So we are more deceived today than at any other time in human history. That's because, based on 2 Timothy 3.13, it's getting worse and worse. So that means, not, not rocket science here, we're more deceived today than yesterday. And we'll be more deceived tomorrow than we are today. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's going to reach its climax, as I mentioned, during that tribulation uh, period when the Antichrist takes the helm and tries to rule the world in satanic tyranny. That's why Jesus said repeatedly in his warning to that future seven-year generation, remember, if you, if you think about Christ's uh, days leading up to the cross. So Matthew, we'll go to Matt with Matthew's account. Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry. And then 22, 23 is when he curses the fig tree, overturns the table of the money changers, um, you know, gets us up to Wednesday, Wednesday night of Passion Week. Uh, he's uh, preaching the Olivet Discourse. By Thursday, he's having the Passover in the upper room with his disciples. He's betrayed in the garden, laid in the tomb after a hastily arranged uh, trial on Friday morning. He's in the day, the tomb three days. By the way, the, the Hebrew idiom, three days and three nights, confuses a lot of people. But I've, I've written an article on that. If you'll email me, I'll send it to you. It's very clear in the Hebrew language that any part of a day constitutes a day and a night. In English, if we say three days and three nights, like if you're going on a cruise for three days and three nights, you expect that to be 72 hours. And if not, you're going to let them know about it, right? In Hebrew, any part of a day counts. So he was in the tomb on a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday. That's considered three days and three nights. It doesn't sound like that in English, but in Hebrew, that's what it meant. So he's laid in the tomb Friday. By Sunday morning, he uh, rises from the dead. But so in that final uh, major message that Jesus gives on Wednesday night, just hours before the next day, he would end up being betrayed Thursday, uh, he answers the question, what will be the sign of your coming? If you're not going to come now to establish the kingdom like we thought you were, and by the way, we know the disciples thought that Jesus was going to ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and throw off the shackles of Rome and usher in the kingdom because the Bible tells us that's what they thought. In Luke 19, 11 to 30, Luke, under the inspiration of the Spirit, tells us, quote, because they were near Jerusalem and they, the disciples, thought that the kingdom was going to come immediately, Jesus tells them the parable, and it's the parable of the Minas that we talked about in our last session. So, uh, you know, Jesus uh, basically is explaining to the disciples by Wednesday, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to come right away. There's going to be a delay. But if you want to know what to look for, to know when I'm about to come, here's the signs to look for. And he systematically walks them through what life's going to be like on earth for that future tribulation generation. Now, a lot of Bible students are confused and they say, well, why is Jesus telling the disciples in the first century what's going to happen 2,000 years later? Well, that's not confusing at all. That's the way every prophecy works. Every prophecy is given to a historic generation, like, say, Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. There was no virgin that had a child in Isaiah's day. There was no baby born in Bethlehem in Micah's day. Every prophecy is given to a, a generation in context, but its fulfillment happens to a later generation, in some cases many centuries later. And so Jesus was speaking to the first century Jews 
the believing remnant, namely the disciples, and explaining to them, here's what it's going to be like when I return. And if you correlate the, the Olivet Discourse with the book of Revelation, which I've done in my chart book, the, the, the parallels are uncanny. It tracks perfectly, starting with Revelation 6 and going all the way through. So the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, it's also in Luke 21 and Mark 13, is all about the seven-year tribulation and the second coming of Christ. It has nothing to do with the rapture. The rapture is not found in the Gospels, um, at least not explicitly. Remember, we're talking Wednesday of Passion Week is the Olivet Discourse. What did I say earlier? Thursday is the Upper Room Discourse, and Thursday was the earliest allusion to the rapture anywhere on planet Earth when Jesus says to the disciples, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I come again, I will receive you to where I am. So, But this is the day before, so the rapture isn't even anywhere on the radar at this point. He's talking about the coming of Christ, himself coming back to establish the kingdom. That's why he says, for example, in Matthew 24, I think it's 31, when the son of, or in chapter 25, he says, when the Son of Man comes in all of his glory and all of his holy angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So uh, it's all about the, the coming of the kingdom, and the disciples were asking, well, what will be the sign? And so he tells you, well, when you see this, and you see this, and you see this, and by the way, when you see the abomination of desolation, which he mentions, and he quotes Daniel by name, when you see that, boy, it's really getting close. Head for the hills at that point. It's only three and a half years away. But eventually, he comes back. And he says, during this time, take heed that no one deceive you. And the generation that will be alive after the rapture needs to heed these warnings because deception will reach unprecedented heights. He begins the Olivet Discourse here in verse 4 with, take heed that no one deceives you. He, later on, he says, many false prophets are going to rise up and deceive many. He, he says in verse 24, false Christs and prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. Um, Again, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one, and deception is Satan's modus operandi. Jesus tells us the devil was a murderer from the beginning. And when he speaks, he sp because there, when he does not stand in the truth because there's no truth, and when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. He is a liar and the father of it. In other words, everything Satan says is a lie. He cannot help it. It's, it's all he knows. It's his very nature. And you see this... De running theme of deception all the way from the garden when he confronted Eve and he completely lied uh, to her and, and he's been lying ever since. Uh, Paul tells us that in the latter days, that's the last part of the last days, uh, many will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. When you look around as I do and, and, and look at some of the things we're about to talk about and you wonder how in the world is this even possible? Well, it's called deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Uh, the types of things that people believe now are just unbelievable. I mean, I want you to think with me for a moment. Just imagine it's the year, let me see if I can get my dates right here. Let's say, let's say it's the, the year 1750, just to pick a date. And you're sitting at Starbucks with a friend. And you're, you, go to, you say to your friend, someday... Uh, 95% of people on earth are going to believe that your grandfather was a monkey. And your friend would go, are you nuts? That's complete nonsense. Nobody would ever think that our ancestors are a monkey. What are you talking about? Now fast forward 100 years to the time of Darwin. And now today, 300 years, not quite 300 years later, that's where we're at. 
I mean, the, you know, I'm going to talk in a moment about the bigger the lie, the big lie principle. Who would have ever dreamed that we could convince an entire world population that they evolved from a wet rock over billions of years and their grandfather was an ape? I mean, it's absurd, but it's become so commonplace because your seventh grade biology teacher taught it to you. Oh, it must be true. I'll, I won't take the time to digress and talk about what happened around the turn of the 20th century with, with the takeover of the American education system and the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and all the others, uh, but that was an intentional, intentional takeover. Uh, nobody in the 1800s would have thought that. You'd be fired if you said such nonsense in public schools. Uh, so, deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I've already mentioned that the devil is trying to blind men's hearts to the gospel. That's his primary target. And that's why at Not By Works Ministries, our passion is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel. And that has merged, you know, quite urgently with the doctrine of the end times. Because, ur you know, the urgency con concept behind the gospel is not just the reality that, you know, you might... Uh, not see tomorrow. I mean, life is but a vapor and, and you, you, no one's promised tomorrow. That's certainly true. But also, the Lord could come back at any moment. And if you're not saved now, you think it's hard to believe the gospel now, just imagine how much harder it's going to be when deception reaches unprecedented heights. In other words, if you're listening to this or watching this or you're here in the room and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone for salvation, you know, if you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't know, I'm kind of a skeptic, I don't know about all this, but you know, if I see millions of people disappear, then I'll know JV was right, and I'll just go ahead and accept Christ then. Good luck with that, as Calvin would say. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I wouldn't put your eggs in that basket, because if you're not able to believe today, what makes you think you're going to be able to believe when the Antichrist is holding sway, and there's no church, no restraining influence of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, it's, it's not going to be that simple. So Revelation, again, tells us that, the, that, that Satan is trying to deceive the whole world, and he's going to use the Antichrist uh, to do that. You see this deception reaching unprecedented heights during the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, he's not going to be able to deceive the nations anymore because he's going to be cast into prison. And then at the end of the thousand years, again, he's known as the devil who deceived them. That's his, that's his whole purpose for existing. He started by deceiving Adam and Eve, and nothing's ever changed. He's going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. So uh, we know that the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, is going to be according to the working of Satan, as I mentioned earlier. But notice he's going to be characterized by lying wonders. And he's going to be characterized by unrighteous deception. And, and that spirit uh, by which he deceives those who dwell on the earth is already at work among us. And there are, you know, nothing is really as you think it is, you know. I mean, some things are, and I don't want to be too extreme. But by and large, almost everything that I learned in school growing up, in college, in grad school, most of the, the narratives of history are simply false. And the sooner we can break free of that grip of deception and think with an open mind and think through the lens of Scripture as the ultimate grid to validate and invalidate truth claims, uh, the better it will be. So what I want to do is spend some time giving you a few examples. I won't be able to give uh, data for all of them, but I'm going to give you another top ten list here, ten ways, ten lies that many people believe, including many believers. Um, as with everything that I'm saying, um, don't just take my word for it. Um, I want to encourage you to do your own research. Uh, my two latest books, uh, Volume 2 has 66 pages of, of bibliographic citations, 66 pages. 
Uh, volume 1 is 38 pages. So all the citations are there. You can study it for yourself. I'm quite confident when you do, you'll come to the same conclusion. But don't just believe it because I say it. That's part of the problem. People just believe what everybody says and they fall prey to uh, deception. So some of these things may be new to you, some of them not. Uh, my guess is many of you have, got, have heard some of the things that we're going to be talking about. But these are manifestations of some of Satan's uh, lies. I want to start with a quote from Manley P. Hall, which is that Satan-worshipping Canadian and 33rd degree Mason, who pointed out uh, before his death, there are invisible powers behind the thrones of earth, and men are but marionettes, dancing while the invisible ones pull the strings. And that is something that the Luciferian elite uh, have openly bragged about and talked about for centuries. And if we understand our Bible and we read Ephesians 6, we understand we should understand it's a spiritual battle and we shouldn't be surprised by this, that there are satanic forces that are really leading the world affairs in setting the stage for the coming one world system. That's the reason, by the way, that my first book on this subject back in 2012, we had as the cover art a marionette with strings coming down to all the different positions of world power, you know, the Kremlin, the U.S. Capitol, so forth and so on, um, because that's really uh, what's happening, and, and, and Manly P. Hall simply ad admitted it. So the first thing I want to talk about to show you just how easy it is to deceive people, and most of this is going to be focused on America, um, but that is Operation Mockingbird. So if you look at chapter 6 in my volume 1 of Spirit of the Antichrist, I talk about how this is one of the, the whole chapter is dedicated to Operation Mockingbird, and it was a, one of the biggest manifestations of uh, really controlling the narrative and controlling what people think. Of course, it was started back in the 1950s. Uh, it was a large-scale CIA program, um, and it was basically their attempt to control the news media. Now, back then, you just had the main big three TV stations. You had radio. That was about in newspapers and so forth. You didn't have near the outlets that we have today. You certainly didn't have the Internet. But what they did is they funded and put thousands of, of CIA agents in all of the major news media uh, outlets so that they could control the narrative. Uh, the phrase talking points, many of you may remember that from uh, Bill O'Reilly, another Luciferian who they used for a while, then who got tired of him and they moved him on. It's what they do. It's controlled opposition. A lot of conservatives loved Bill O'Reilly, just like they loved Glenn Beck and they love Sean Hannity and they love uh, Tucker Carlson. They're all just controlled agents, just, you know, for FYI, it's controlled opposition. But uh, he, you might remember his segment, Talking Points. Well, that wasn't new to him. That literally came right out of the CIA's Mockingbird, that what they would do is send talking points. This is what you will be reporting on today. And in such a way, they were able to control the narrative. Now, I'm going to show a short video clip here in a second, my next slide, that is a really stunning expose of the reality of Mockingbird to show that it is still going on. Now, they claim it stopped after the church committee hearings. They said, oh, no, we're not going to do this anymore. But actually, I think there's a clip in this clip that I'm about to play of uh, uh, George H.W. Bush, the former head of the CIA, saying, well, we're, not, we're just going to make it voluntary from now on. In other words, it never stopped. It's still going on. Call it what you want. Make it required or voluntary. Either way, they're still controlling the narrative. But this is from recent history. You may have seen a lot of this. There's lots of examples of this all over the Internet. But this is a pretty good one. Um, that shows that all media outlets, even local news stations, are simply reading from a script. So this is about a two minute and 40 second 
clip. It's actually a clip from Out of Shadows, a documentary that I highly recommend. Is real. It started out paying journalists in major media's Pulitzer Prize winning journalists to print fake stories uh, that the CIA wanted in the press and fake interviews. And this was revealed in the Church Committee. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing? And of course, then the CIA destroyed the rest of the files, which is what they do. George H.W. Bush came out and finally made the statement about Mockingbird. Well, we're going to officially stop the Mockingbird program. The CIA will no longer pay journalists to write stories. From now on, the program is voluntary, which means Mockingbird continues today. When's the last time you've seen a mainstream media outlet do a serious investigative report on the actions of the CIA? There's a reason for that. This would mean that the CIA could manipulate the news in the United States by channeling it through some foreign country. And we're looking at that very carefully. Would you say that continues today? Well, I, yeah, I would think probably for a reporter it would continue today, but because of all of the revelations of the period of the 1970s, uh, it seems to me that a reporter's got to be much more circumspect in doing it now, or he runs the risk of uh, at least being looked at with considerable disfavor by the public. I think you've got to be much more careful about it. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 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 There is something about the way the CIA has been functioning that is casting a shadow on our historic position of freedom, and I feel we need to correct it. All right, so this, uh, so I mean, that's pretty amazing. I'm gonna, I'll just hold on to it because I got a couple more here. You can mute the other one. Okay, so all I do is push that up? Yep. Perfect, thank you. Thank you guys, sorry about that. We tried, we tested it ahead of time, but it, it wasn't working, but it's not surprising. Right when I get into all the manifestations of Satan's deceptions when we have these technical problems. Um, so, uh, of course, most of you know uh, Walter Cronkite. Uh, here's a clip from him. Uh, let's see, he is receiving an award uh, at the World, World Government Federation or something like that. Uh, and he's referring to evangelical conservatives who think only Christ can preside over a one-world government. So play a couple of clips here. Their leader, Pat Robertson, has written in a book a few years ago that we should have a world government, but only when the Messiah arrives. <laughs> he wrote, and literally, any attempt to achieve world order before that time must be the work of the devil. Well, join me. I'm, I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan. I'm glad to sit right here at the right hand of Satan. Right? And then a little bit later, they bring in, at the time, First Lady Hillary, First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton, 
to congratulate him and just listen to what uh, what she says. We would like to bring you a message from the First Lady of the United States, Hillary Rodham Clinton. Good evening and congratulations, Walter, on receiving the World Federalist Association's Global Governance Award. For more than a generation in America, it wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us it was the news. It wasn't the news until Walter Cronkite told us the news. You wondered why they came up with that little tagline, right? Because it wasn't. They wanted you to know what they wanted you to know. And so Global Governance Award, he, he's been in on or was in on it uh, for a long time. So here's William Casey, uh, who was the director of the CIA during the Reagan administration for seven years. Um, and uh, this is a quote from right at the start of that in 1981. And by the way, he died under very suspicious uh, circumstances in 1987. Uh, and, but anyway, he said, we will know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American public believes is a lie. So what we have to understand is that the mainstream media is a weapon of mass destruction. And if you think uh, there's a right-left paradigm in politics or in media, you have already believed the lie. And I'll have more to say about that in a moment. But, you know, my first full-time church 30 years ago after Wendy and I were married was in a rural Midwest farming community, and I learned a lot about farming. I, I used to love, uh, this was before we had kids, and I would spend some time out on the big farm equipment, riding around in the big uh, combines and stuff with them, and just, just enjoying the fellowship and learning about uh, farming. And so one of the things I learned, for example, just in terms of the history of farming, this is what a manure spreader used to look like. They were horse-drawn, pretty much manual. Um, they got a little better as time went on, but then in the industrial age, they looked uh, more like this. Uh, but the modern manure spreaders look like this. And um, what we need to understand is that they are poisoning us uh, with lies and deceit and controlling what we uh, believe. Gary Allen, in his famous book, None Dare Call a Conspiracy, said, We believe the picture painters of the mass media are artfully creating landscapes for us which deliberately hide the real picture. David Rockefeller, in uh, June of 1991 at a Trilateral Commission meeting, came right out and said, we are grateful to the Washington Post, the New York Times, Time Magazine, and other great publications whose directors have attended our meetings. By the way, the Trilateral Commission, like the CFR, is a major policy agenda-setting uh, uh, group for the Luciferian elite. Uh, they've attended our meetings, and they have respected uh, their promises of discretion for almost 40 years. Now listen. It would have been impossible for us to develop our plan for the world if we had been subject to the bright lights of publicity during these years. See, maybe that's the reason that even back in the early days of our country, Thomas Jefferson said people who don't read the newspapers know more than those who do. Because, you know, it's more dangerous to be misinformed than to be uninformed. It's astounding how many people blindly follow the mainstream narrative, even many Christians. Mark Twain famously said how easy it is to make people believe a lie and how hard it is to undo that work. Again, it's often paraphrased, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. In my first book, Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 1, uh, first of these, this two-book series, uh, I have this uh, epigraph. There are three classes of people, those who see, those who see when they're shown, 
and those who do not see. I want you to ask yourself, which one uh, are you? Um, sadly, you know, if we're to have any hope against the rising tide of, of deception and pretense that's just going to get worse and worse between now and the rapture, uh, you know, pe people have to learn to study things for themselves. Uh, and a lot of Christians today have this sort of chicken soup for the soul mentality, just tell me what to believe, you know, they don't really want to study things for themselves. And the 18th century British theologian, theologian William Paley put it this way, he said, there is a principle which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance, and that is contempt prior to examination. So like I said, I hope you'll study these things for yourself. An anonymous psalmist said, the works of the Lord are great studied by all who have pleasure in them. Are you studying God's word? Are you running everything you hear through the lens of scripture? Or are you just blindly trusting world leaders, world philosophies, school teachers, news media, world traditions? Uh, Carl Sagan put it this way in his uh, book, The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. And by the way, he was certainly no friend uh, to Christians, but uh, he understood what the world, real world was all about. He said, one of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's just simply too powerful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe said, none are more hopelessly lost than those who falsely believe they are free, and that's exactly what they want us to think. He was a contemporary of Voltaire, and Voltaire said this in 1809, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Speaking of making you believe absurdities and committing atrocities, Adolf Hitler in Mein Kampf said, the principle, which is quite true in itself, is that in the big lie, there's always a certain force of credibility. This is often misquoted as the bigger the lie, the more easily it will be believed. That's kind of a summary of what he actually said in the book here. But that is, in the big lie, there's always a certain force of credibility. Uh, you know, uh, Vladimir Lenin uh, said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. In my research over the last 15 years, I've cited several examples of mainstream media talking heads. You know, by the way, media today has all just become paid advertisements is really all it is. There's really no reporting anymore. In the old days, it used to be a guy sitting at a desk. Of course, as we saw, even Walter Cronkite was a controlled agent. But, you know, reading the news, uh, you know, a cat got caught in a tree today. There was a wreck at I-25. You know, that, it was just reporting news. Today, everything's agenda-driven. It's people sitting around a desk arguing with each other, perpetuating this fake left-right paradigm. I know people that have been on a lot of these shows, and they'll tell me that after a particularly vicious back and forth between the alleged right and the alleged left, they'll cut to break, and everyone's high-fiving each other off camera, saying, good one, that's good, next time I'm going to say this, and then you say this, and it's all just controlled. But they, they, they suck you into thinking that somehow you have a voice. It's called controlled opposition. And never before in history have Eric Blair's famous words been truer. Blair, better known by his pen name George Orwell, said, in an age of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In the, in the last two to three years in particular, the Luciferian elite have pulled out all the stops 
to censor and ban truth. We were banned from YouTube two years ago. Um, we still have a YouTube channel, but we, we, we had nine different, actually 11 different videos banned, and, and it got to where every time we'd get to two, then if we had a third one, they would drop us all together, and I didn't want to lose our, we have a couple thousand videos on YouTube, I didn't want to lose those, so we just finally, two years ago, quit posting to YouTube. We now do everything on-site at notbyworks.org. But, um, you know, uh, anytime you cite the truth, if it doesn't go along with the narrative, then they're going to they're gonna censor you. They're going to cancel you. Another Goethe quote, he said, The man in the street does not notice the devil, even when the devil is holding him by the throat. And that's where I think we are today. Leo Tolstoy famously said, history would be a wonderful thing if only it were true. Napoleon Bonaparte said, what is history but a fable agreed upon? Or I love this uh, World War II quote from Winston Churchill, history will be kind to me, for I intend to write it. <laughs> Mark Twain said, the very ink with which history is written is merely fluid prejudice. And Orwell, who was very awake to the Luciferian conspiracy, kind of explained to us in 1984 why that is. He said, who controls the past controls the future. Who controls the present controls the past. Right? So if they can control the narrative, they really can control you. Um, George Santayana famously said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So the bottom line is history as we know it is not the truth. We have been deceived. And it's all part of Satan's Luciferian conspiracy. A conspiracy, again, is just you know two or more people working together for uh, nefarious means and Satan's conspiracy involves demons and human agents all working together to accomplish uh, his, his goal. We know that this Luciferian conspiracy exists not only from scripture, Psalm 2 for example, I've cited that earlier, uh, that's the primary proof text where the nations, the king, kings of the world are conspiring together to try to throw off God's control. But we also know it from anecdotal evidence and from seeing history through the years and understanding what they're saying in their own uh, writings. I mean, they worship Satan the way you and I worship God, the creator of the universe. They pray to him. They sacrifice children to him. They drink blood. And you think that doesn't happen. Why would it not happen? It happened in the Bible 2,000 years before Christ in the ancient Near East. Are things getting better? Like 2,000 years before Christ... They were sacrificing children to Moloch and Baal and Ashtoreths and all these pagan religions. And then all of a sudden they just got better and now things are better and better. We would never do that. No, it's worse. It's 4,000 years later. We're that much worse. And so, of course, it's happening. And my research documents that pretty extensively in both of those uh, books. But they, they love Satan. They dedicate their books to him. Here's Saul Alinsky, who, uh, in, who was uh, President Barack Obama's primary mentor. Um, and uh, a lot of experts you know, attribute Barack's uh, success in 2008 to the tactics that he learned from Saul Alinsky's book, uh, Rules for Radicals, and Saul Alinsky dedicated that book to Lucifer. Listen to what he wrote. Lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history, and, and he adds, Who's to know when mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which? Because remember, they laugh at us for believing certain narratives that were told. When they, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, took over all the textbook companies, took over the narratives, and controlled everything. 
And they're like, he's like saying, well, we really can't tell what's myth and what, what's fact and what's fiction. But anyway, we want to dedicate this to the first radical known to man who rebelled against the establishment and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom, Lucifer. See, they believe Lucifer is the hero in Genesis and God is the antagonist. God was the liar. God was trying to deceive. God was trying to pull one over on Adam and Eve and you know, Lucifer comes to the rescue and saves them. Um, Karl Marx, another Satanist, said, quote, With Satan I have struck my deal. He chalks the signs, beats time for me. I play the death march fast and free. And speaking of Marxist, David Rockefeller, who died in 2017 at the age of 101, he, in a New York Times article, actually said, the social experiment in China under Chairman Mao's leadership is one of the most important and successful in human history. Now, who was Mao? I mean, Mao was an avowed Marxist tyrant. Um, according to Robert LaFont's authoritative book, Black uh, Book of Communism, was the title of it, an estimated 65 million Chinese people died under Chairman Mao's regime. And he explains how this genocide was the result of Mao's repeated merciless attempts to create a new socialist China. And anyone who got in his way was done away with by execution, imprisonment, or forced famine. Well, I guess in David Rockefeller's mind, you know, genocide makes you a hero. Um, I mean, Marxist, Marx was an avowed Satanist. I got, in the book, I have several quotes from his own writings in which he's, uh, you know, bragging about Satan, worshiping Satan, hailing Satan as the hero. Um, so, you know, David Rockefeller calls Mao Zedong's leadership the most important and successful in human history. So what do you call a man who praises a world leader whose allegiance is to Satan? Well, you call him a Luciferian, and that's exactly what David Rockefeller was. Um, Carol Quigley is a key name to know because he published this book in 1966, and it was based on archival uh, documents from the Council on Foreign Relations. And he jumped the gun a little bit as their sort of historian. He published this before they were ready for it. But essentially it is their, it's a tome, it's like 800 pages, uh, their outline and blueprint for ultimately getting across the finish line of the New World Order and establishing the One World System. And um, I go into a lot more detail in the book about the history of the Council on uh, foreign Relations in Volume 2, but uh, obviously it's too big a book to necessarily read the whole thing, although it would be a fascinating read, but you can read a couple of Cliff's Notes versions. One is by Cleon Skousen called The Naked Capitalist. The other is None Dare Call It Conspiracy, as I quoted earlier from Gary Allen. But es essentially, Quigley's book and all the, the plates, because back then this is before digital technology, if you had a book published, it was first created in plates that were then run off onto the copies. They, they tried to destroy them all and take it away from all of the bookstores shortly after it was released because it was, they weren't ready to disclose what they were doing. But he thought they had gotten so, the ball, ball so far down the court that there was no turning it back. But he, he said, for example, that I'm quite sure the tragedy note was suppressed, although I do not know by whom or for whom. You can buy it new. I have a copy of the new. It finally eventually came back in print. Um, they found some... Uh, of the plates, and in 2004, they republished it for the first time. Um, but listen to some of the things he exposed in here. He says, 
Uh, I know of the operations of this network because I have studied it for 20 years and was permitted for two years in the early 1960s to examine its papers and secret records. I have no aversion to it or to most of its aims and have for much of my life been close to it and to many of its instruments. It wishes to remain unknown, but I believe its role in history is significant enough to be known. In other words, he was overstepping his bounds and kind of exposing what uh, the CFR, a longtime secret society, I, I, again, I deal with it in volume two. Um, he says, their aim is nothing less than to create a world system of financial control in private hands, able to dominate the political system of each country and the economy of the world as a whole. The individual's freedom and choice will be controlled within very narrow alternatives by the fact that he will be numbered from birth and followed as a number through his educational training, his required military or other public services, tax contributions, his health and medical requirements, and his final retirement and death, uh, death uh, benefits. So what we're talking about here is the new world order. And the new world order gets its name from when the uh, Freemasons came over and founded the Illuminati in 1776, the same year that our country was founded, they intended for this to be the beachhead for the New World Order. That's why they called it the New World. Now, the, pa the, the Puritans and the God-fearing believers that came over 100 years earlier, they were simply seeking religious freedom and seeking a place where they could worship God and serve their creator. Well, 100 years later, by the time we had the, the start of this country, most of the, the fingerprints on this country are from Satan. Obviously, what happened was they vastly underestimated the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit through Christians. And so what they thought was going to be a beachhead for the New World Order became a bastion for the Bible and the gospel. And America was a credible Christian nation. Uh, and it flourished and it became the greatest nation in the history of the world. But by uh, 1890s, they realized that the only way they were going to get control of it was by force. And they set about a systematic plan to completely dismantle this country. And it all started around the year 1900. Again, with the Carnegies, the Rockefellers, this is all documented in my books. And uh, they took over medicine, they took over education, they took over industry, and they took over politics, and they took over the economy, uh, and began uh, setting in stage what we now have 120 years later. Um, so that's the reason there's kind of mixed reviews. You know, on the one hand, we think, wow, this used to be a great nation. Well, it was, thanks to the power of God and the power of the gospel. Uh, but it wasn't intended to be started that way. They wanted to, to come in, and, you know, and I document that uh, in the book. A lot of the heroes that we think are great constitutionalists, while they, they appreciate their constitutional values, if you read what they thought about God, you realize they were not God-fearing believers. So this idea of the New World Order has been mentioned many, many times. Of course, uh, during his State of the Union address, Bush famously said in 1991, uh, we will succeed in the Gulf. The context is the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. And when we do, the world community will have sent an enduring warning to any dictator, despot, or prisoner future who contemplates outlaw aggression. The world can therefore seize this opportunity to fulfill the long-held promise of a new world order. And uh, that's not just a phrase. That's a loaded phrase. And it means something to the Luciferians. And if you don't know much about the Bush dynasty, it goes way back to Prescott Bush financing Hitler and attempting to usher in the one world system during the World War II era. But uh, they really want to usher in this new world order. So anytime there's an opportunity, and, and, and at this time it was the Gulf War, they thought, well, hey, this might be it. Richard Nixon, and when he met with uh, uh, in the president of China uh, in February of 1972, said to him, each of us has the hope to build a new world order. Or here's Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987. We are moving toward a new world order, the world of communism. See, the, the Luciferian elite are not unified. There's all kind of factions and competing agendas, and that's the reason they haven't accomplished it before, before now. 
that and of course the Lord is the ultimate arbiter of God of his own timetable uh, but in, in his mind the New World Order was going to be a communist world Henry Kissinger said the New World Order cannot happen without US participation as we are the single most significant component yes there will be a New World Order and it will force the United States to change its perceptions because we're gonna have to give up our national sovereignty and, and bow to the one world system uh, when uh, uh, in 2008, after Obama was elected, he told CNBC, quote, I think that his, talking about President Obama, I think his task will be to develop an overall strategy for America during this period when really a new world order can be created. See, they thought Obama, who was the ultimate Manchurian, the first true Manchurian in the technical sense of the term, uh, they were going to usher it in. But, again, uh, with the competing agendas, Obama got in there and he was more loyal to the New Guard Luciferians than the Old Guard Luciferians. There was internal factions and it didn't quite get them across uh, the finish line. Strobe Talbot, who's the president of the Brookings Institute, another one of those Luciferian think tanks on Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C., he said, in the next century, nations as we know it will be obsolete. All states will recognize a single global authority. This was 1992, by the way. National sovereignty wasn't such a great idea after all. Uh, Richard N. Gardner, uh, who was former Deputy Assistant Secretary of State for International Organizations under Kennedy and Johnson, and a member of the Trilateral Commission, wrote an article in Foreign Affairs Magazine, which is the CFR's magazine, in which he said, in short, the house of world order will have to be built from the bottom up rather than the top down. It will look like a great booming, buzzing confusion but an end run around national sovereignty, eroding it piece by piece, will accomplish much more than old-fashioned frontal assault. In other words, they can't just stand up one day and you know, get on CNN and Fox News and announce, just letting everybody know we've joined the One World Federation uh, led by John Q. Antichrist, and we appreciate your support. Have a nice day. Now back to you know, the whatever TV show that distracts us with, right? No, they're not going to do that. People would go bananas in America. I mean, we got some godly, Bible-believing, gun-toting, freedom-loving people in this country. So what they have to do is they have to create, using the Hegelian dialectic, this problem, reaction, solution, where they get us to cry out for our own, you know, security to do the one thing they want. In other words, save us from the boogeyman, right? And, and then and it's much easier to get us to go along in that way, this end run that he's talking about, than it is by force. H.G. Wells, in his book, The New World Order, quote, that was the title of the book, said, countless people will hate the New World Order and will die protesting it. That's certainly true. Another Churchill quote, from the days of Spartacus, Weishaupt, Karl Marx, and Trotsky, this world conspiracy has been steadily growing. This conspiracy has been the mainspring of, mainspring of every subversive movement during the 19th century. He said, the creation of an authoritative world order is the ultimate aim toward which we must strive. Another World War II era leader from France after World War II said, nations must unite in a world government or perish. James Paul Warburg from the famous Warburg financial dynasty, uh, uh, he was a financial advisor uh, to FDR, he said, quote, uh, and by the way, his father, Paul Warburg, was one of the founders of the Federal Reserve, I'll have more to say about that, I think, in the next session. It might be in this one. but We shall have world government, whether you like it or not, by conquest or consent. See, these, these elites, they, they taste power, and they're used to just getting their way. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt said, Behind the ostensible government sits enthroned an invisible government, owing no allegiance and acknowledging no responsibility to the people. Woodrow Wilson famously said, 
Since I entered politics, I have chiefly had men's views confided to me privately, and some of the biggest men in the United States in the field of commerce and manufacture are afraid of something. They know that there is a power somewhere so organized, so subtle, so watchful, so interlocked, so complete, so pervasive, that they better not speak above their breath when they speak in condemnation of it. In other words, there are people pulling the strings that we don't know about. The real truth of the matter is, as you and I know it, that a financial element in the large centers of, uh, has owned the government of the U.S. since the days of Andrew Jackson, said FDR. He said, in politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. We are just an extra in somebody else's play. Edward Bernays uh, was the father of modern propaganda. He wrote the famous book, Propaganda, in 1928. A whole lot more to say about him in the book. I wish we had time. I would get into some of the details, but some fascinating things that are commonplace now that he created. Like he's the one that that uh, suggested we change the D- Department of War to the Department of Defense, right? Because we need a defense department, right? We're basically an island nation with two allies on either side of us. We can see anybody coming from a thousand miles away, but we got to spend trillions of dollars going out and taking over other countries so we can have their oil. And if you don't think that's what's happening, just read the the Council on Foreign Relations reports. That's exactly what they wanted to happen. It's exactly what uh, Rockefeller and Kissinger said. Kissinger especially uh, famously talked about that. Uh, So anyway... uh, you know, here he, he, he also, he did lots of, lots of things. Fascinating study to, to see what Edward Bernays, uh, he was, his uncle was Sigmund Freud, by the way. That should tell you all you need to know. Uh, but he said, uh, the masses are irrational and subject to herd instinct. <laughs> and he, he's the, popularized the whole concept of crowd psychology and psychoanalysis. But he says, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in the democratic society. And those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. There are invisible rulers who control the destinies of millions. It is not generally realized to what extent the words and actions of our most influential public men are dictated by shrewd persons operating from behind the scenes. The real uh, former Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter said the real rulers in Washington are invisible and exercise power from behind the scenes. Now, Zbigniew Brzezinski is a name that some of you might remember. He's worked on both sides of the aisles. He worked for LBJ. He worked for Jimmy Carter. He also was in the Reagan administration. And that's how you can really tell that when guys are part of the elite is they work both sides, like Dick Cheney and some of those others. But he said, Zbigniew Brzezinski, who also died in 2017, said, this regionalization is in keeping with the trilateral plan, which calls for a gradual convergence of East and West and ultimately leading toward the goal of a one world government. National sovereignty is no longer a viable concept. He said the technocratic era, by the way, he said this in 1970, involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite, unrestrained by traditional values. Thinking there, he's talking there about the traditional values of liberty. He said soon it will be able to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen. Again, this was in 1970 and maintain up-to-date complete files containing the most personal information about the citizen. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities. Shortly, the public will be unable to reason or think for themselves. They'll only be able to parrot the information they've been given on the previous night's news. Persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality, and the exploitation of mass media to obtain public confidence 
would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. Just before he died, he said in an interview on TV, quote, today it is infinitely easier to kill one million people than to control one million people. And that gets into their ultimate plan for depopulation. So let me just quickly list off ten, top 10 lies that I think are affecting us today. Some of them I'm just going to list, some of them I'll give you a few, few slides about. Number one, Darwinism is a legitimate science. Uh, that's a lie. Uh, again, uh, Darwinism has had a revolutionary impact on ethics and morality. He rejected traditional Judeo-Christian ethics and promoted moral relativism and, relativism and played a key role in the rise of eugenics. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with his famous book, The Origin of the Species, uh, published in 19, or 1859, but I bet your seventh grade biology teacher didn't tell you the full title of the book, which is The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of the Favored Races. That's what his book was about. You can go to Amazon right now and look at a cover photo. There it is, Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. In other words, if you're feeble-minded, which is what the eugenicists called it, or if you don't, if you have a limp, or you, you know, have a other some kind of physical abnormality, we don't need you. You're, we're going to kill you. We don't want you on this earth. You have to look like us and think like us. In his later book, The Descent of Man, uh, he he talks about how most people are evolutionary dead ends, and only a small elite is actually evolving, and everyone else just gets in the way. Well, Adolf Hitler, uh, his hero was Charles Darwin. So he built his entire ethic on Darwinian principles. So Hitler was not amoral, like a lot of people might think, but he actually did have a moral ethic, and it rested on Darwinian foundations. It's called social Darwinism. Darwinism is far from a legitimate science. It was a social experiment that lives on to this day. Speaking of that, the second lie is life is not sacred. I encourage you to listen to a message I gave in January. It's the video still available at notbyworks.org called uh, the, the Life is Sacred is what it was called, Life is Sacred, in which I give a comprehensive biblical overview of the doctrine of the sanctity of life. The third one is there is no global Luciferian conspiracy to take over the world. That's a lie. And uh, in fact, what's really fascinating is where the idea of conspiracy theories came from. But I want to give this caveat. I don't believe in conspiracy theories except the ones that are true. I just thought I'd mention that. Uh, the term conspiracy theory we know as a matter of now documented fact was created by the CIA in a memo uh, that was leaked in 1976, but it came out back in 1967, in April of 1967. It was a classified document where they created the term conspiracy theory to use as a pejorative label to people in the late 60s that were rejecting the Warren Commission report about the official narrative of the JFK assassination. It was, you know, patently obvious that this, the, the Warren Commission report was completely fictitious, had no basis in truth, it, did, it violated all sorts of rules of science and physics and everything else, there were too many eyewitnesses, and so people really started having an outcry, and so they said, we gotta get a lid on this, so let's create a, a, a you know, pejorative a term uh, it's a psych, what they, what they now have written books about, this was in 67, and now you can take classes in this, it's called mimetic, it's a psycholinguistic tool for mimetic hegemony, meaning using labels to, to, to uh, you know, somehow criticize someone, and the labels have no inherent meaning, but you give them a meaning. So today, if you hear someone saying something that you don't agree with, you can say, oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Well, what's that? 
a conspiracy theorist is someone who has a theory about a conspiracy, right? I mean, it might be true, it might not. Like I say, I, I believe in conspiracy theories, at least the ones that are true. I don't believe in the ones that are not true, but I believe in the ones that are true. Uh, in fact, most cases, criminal cases in the federal court system have the word conspiracy in the title. It's very common. It's two or more people working together to commit a crime called a conspiracy, right? So there are all kinds of conspiracy uh, theories. Uh, and, and so, you know, the question is, are they uh, accurate? So this, this technique has been around since 1967. Kaz Sunstein was, uh, worked in the Obama administration from 2009 to 2012. Uh, his uh, wife was Samantha, is Samantha Powers. I assume they're still married, but she was the uh, U.S. ambassador to the uh, United Nations. Uh, anyway, Samantha Power. And uh, he wrote in, uh, in his book uh, called Conspiracy Theories, and he teaches lectures on this at Harvard, by the way. What can government do about conspiracy theories? Well, we can imagine a series of possible responses. We might ban them, which is essentially what the cancel culture did. Uh, we might impose some kind of tax, financial or otherwise, on those who disseminate them. Uh, but essentially, uh, you know, he's out there explaining to everyone that, you know, conspiracy theories have to be quashed. We, we don't have freedom of speech anymore. If someone says something that differs from the official narrative, you know, we've got to quash it. Which, remember, if people are trying to cut out your tongue, it's because they know that what you say can be harmful because the truth can be harmful and so rather than stand the test of scrutiny it's easier just to silence you and that's what uh, they're uh, trying to do so again a conspiracy is just two or more people working together for uh, some harmful or evil goal and the greatest conspiracy of all time is the conspiracy between satan and evil human leaders to take over the world another lie that a lot of people believe is that cnn is liberal and fox news is conservative Fortunately, after the debacle of 2020, I think many, many more conservative Christians have woken up to the reality that Fox News is controlled opposition, but still I come across people that still think Fox News is conservative and CNN is liberal, that they are falling into the trap of the false left-right uh, paradigm, which is the classic tool called the Hegelian dialectic, uh, problem-reaction-solution or control opposition, and Quigley, by the way, has something to say about this. I'll give you that quote in a second, but you know, this was their plan. We got to find a way to get the train moving in one direction, but get people cheering every four years for one side or the other, but nothing ever changes, right? It's called the false left-right paradigm. So, uh, you know, left or right, take your pick. It's completely your, your choice or, you know, the illusion of choice. I call this Calvinistic voting, right? You make you think you have a choice, but you, you really don't, right? Uh, or my, one of my favorite ballots is this one. Uh, what, who are you going to vote for this year? Uh, well, I think I'll vote for not dumb enough to fall for it anymore. And then I, I came across this one. Someone sent me this one this week, and I told him I was going to use it. But it's called the March of Tyranny. In two weeks in Orlando, I'm speaking on the totalitarian tiptoe, so I thought this was pretty interesting. But, uh, you know, next time I'm going to vote Republican. Next time I'm going to vote Democrat. Right, left, right, left. And that's exactly what uh, Quigley said was going to happen. Another lie is that our government would never harm us. I will just refer you to chapter 10 in Spirit of the Antichrist, volume 1 on that for a list of dozens of on-record examples. Number six, global warming is a problem and man is the source of it. I wish we had time to talk about this, but the geoengineering that's going on is all tied inseparably to this 
idea of the global warming. And so you have all these uh, global summit action things, the Rio conference in 92, Agenda 2030, all these different climate summits that are insisting that we've got to save the world and the only way to do it is by spraying nanoparticles of aluminum, strat strontium, barium, and all these others into the air and uh, creating weather uh, problems. And then you got guys like Klaus Schwab coming along and saying, give me all your money and I'll save you. We'll, we'll, we'll figure this, uh, this thing out. But geoengineering used to be uh, denied like uh, everything else. Uh, uh, and then all of a sudden, they about five years ago, come right out and admit it. And uh, it's mainstream news. There have been congressional hearings and, and laws about it. There's, you can Google companies that, that have government contracts uh, to do it. Uh, it's variously referred to as uh, geoengineering or solar radiation management or chemical ice nucleation or sprayed particulate trails or climate intervention or stratospheric sulfate aerosols, all kinds of technical names for it. But it's no longer a conspiracy theory. It's, it never was. But now they're even admitting it that, yeah, they're doing stratospheric injection to try to uh, claim, to try to solve the world from overheating. Uh, and this shouldn't surprise us because uh, former CIA Director John Brennan said another example is the array of technologies often referred to collectively as geoengineering that could potentially help reverse the warming effect of global climate change. And one that has gained my personal attention is stratospheric aerosol injection, a method of seeding the stratosphere with particles that can help reflect the sun's heat. So those uh, clouds that don't look like any clouds that I ever remember from when I was a child out in the skies, that's geoengineering. That's exactly what it is. Uh, on the geopolitical side, he said the technology's potential to alter the weather pattern can have uh, beneficial uh, effects. So here's Scientific American. Geoengineering is planetary scale intervention or tinkering with the planetary processes. Uh, the term geoengineering refers to large-scale manipulation of the global environment. Again, you've got all kinds of companies out there that show you exactly how they're doing it, how much the government is paying them to do it, to, to release these aerosol particles into the atmosphere. Uh, for the longest time when it was secret, they would attach nozzles to commercial aircraft and spray them. And now they have companies that can do it just right out uh, in the open. So again, you've got a plane here. You, my, you can't really see because my circle covers it up, but a plane uh, spraying it. So this is not anything that is new anymore. You've got all kinds of magazine articles talking about it. Scientific American has several articles about it. Uh, Popular Science Magazine uh, has an entire section dedicated to geoengineering. I list a lot of these in my book with some of the titles of articles that are in there. So uh, basically today the weather is scheduled, not uh, forecasted, and it's time for people to look up and acknowledge the elephant in the sky. These are some of the pictures that I've taken uh, through the years. Uh, and, and again, these are not normal clouds at all, and anybody who thinks they are is crazy, but this is not what partly cloudy uh, is supposed to look like. Um, so that's geoengineering. We could say lots more about that, but I'll just refer you to the book. And then we've got the number seven is compulsory public schooling is the best way to educate your children. Uh, number eight, the democratic process is foolproof. Again, I was talking about uh, hacked elections 15 years ago. Uh, I'm thankful that a lot of people finally woke up after the most blatant one ever in 2020, um, but it was rigged in 2016. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, they, they, ever since they went to digital technology and digital vote tabulation, that's the key, is who counts the votes, right? Uh, you might use a punch card to do it, but it's where is it counted? And if it's counted on a server somewhere, you can bet that it's rigged. 
Uh, and, and we saw this in 2016. Um, mainstream news has been reporting it for many, many elections now. Um, so, uh, you know, these days it's getting easier and easier with digital technology because it's, you know, a kid in a cubicle in Cleveland can change the outcome of the election in California with a couple of keystrokes. Um, Fox News has covered this. Mainstream media has covered it. There have been congressional hearings about it, how to ensure the ballot box, and yet nothing ever changes. Uh, I love this meme. These new fang electronic voting machines are swell. They count your vote even before you pull the trigger. And of course, back in 2016, uh, you know, everybody was, all the conservatives were saying, oh yeah, it was rigged, and poor thing, she can't even rig, win a rigged election, right? Well, then 2020 comes around, and now all of a sudden the shoe's on the other foot. It's back and forth, right, left, right, left. And I encourage you to read uh, or watch the videos, Hacking Democracy or Black Box Voting, that give incontrovertible evidence of, of all of this. I mentioned uh, Quigley in that same expose. He said, the argument that the two parties should represent opposed ideals one on the right and one on the left, is a foolish idea. Instead, the two parties should be almost identical so that the American party can, quote, throw the rascals out at any election without leaving, leading to any profound or extensive shifts in policy. And that's the reason why, if all it took was to, to turn things around in our country was to have a Republican-controlled Congress, a Republican-controlled Senate, a Republican in the White House, and a majority of Republicans appointed on the Supreme Court, we would have stopped you know, all of these things long before now. Instead, we, we finally, and we've had that many times, by the way. We've had it during the Gingrich Revolution, the Tea Party Revolution. Trump even had it for a short time, and yet things get worse and worse and worse. And by the way, you need to read my book in Volume 2 for my explanation of what the whole uh, abortion Supreme Court ruling was, which basically meant, crystallized the fact, and this is with a, allegedly a 6-3 to supermajority of Republican appointed justices on the Supreme Court, where they ruled definitively once and for all that unborn children have no constitutional rights. That's what that decision was. So if you think it was a good decision, you bought into the lie. It was a terrible decision. It crystallized the fact that the unborn have absolutely no constitutional rights. Because according to the Constitution, you cannot defer to the states on something that is inherently part of the Constitution. And what they said is, you don't have any rights, we'll just leave it up to the states. It was a decision that determined where you can kill your child, not whether you can kill it. That's what that decision was. Number nine, our government prints its own money. That's a lie. If you haven't figured out by now that the Federal Reserve is private, owned by six families, it is not any more federal than Federal Express. It's a privately owned central bank. And on our way here, we actually fulfilled one of the bucket list items on my list, which was I've been studying and researching and writing about the Federal Reserve for many years, but I actually made it out to Jekyll Island, which is where it was founded. And uh, these are some pictures I took just a couple of days ago, and I thought it was quite fitting that they're doing geoengineering right above uh, the Jekyll Island Club where the Federal Reserve was founded in secret over the Christmas holidays in 1913 when a half a dozen congressmen got together and changed the course of history by establishing the income tax on the Federal Reserve, ultimately the income tax on the Federal Reserve. But uh, yeah, that's where it took place in that club. It was at the time known as the Jekyll Island Club, now known as the Jekyll Island Club Resort. I think it's a state park. Here's one of the meeting rooms. You can see Federal Reserve is what they call it. Uh, here's one of the uh, little fireplace rooms. Um, what it must have been like back then. Uh, and then finally, Big Brother is just a television show. Uh, if you haven't un figured out by now that everything we say is tracked digitally and put into our uh, bit buckets, uh, what they call bit buckets in the massive fusion centers, uh, like the one in Sandy, Utah, where they can then run algorithms to, to you know, get any data that you want. Here's the Utah uh, 
Fusion Center, which we've driven by it and taken uh, pictures. Wired Magazine in 2012, this is by one of my favorite authors, James Bamford. He wrote the cover article in it, and basically the article said, deep in the Utah desert, the National Security Agency is building the country's biggest spy center. It's the final piece of a secret surveillance network that will intercept and store your phone calls, emails, Google searches, and everything else. So there you have it, top 10 lies impacting the world today. Um, again, I get into much more detail in the Spirit of the Antichrist books and also in the What in the World is Going On DVD series. But let's take a break. And uh, we got one more session left. Let's take about a five-minute break. We'll come back together uh, and uh, wrap up our first day of uh, the conference.